Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Like I said, this has been a really fun series for me. Uh, to say, all right, uh, I know the Psalms. Maybe some of you have uh, grew up in churches where they sang the Psalms. Uh, I don't know what your background is with the Psalms, but I've taught on it a lot. When I was a youth pastor, we, I taught on it a lot. Uh, when I was a, on a teaching pastor like with our, with our church, I taught on it a lot back in Arkansas. And so as we approach this, I really wanted to say, I want to I submit to it in a, in a different way. Like, I'm just going to only preach on the Psalms that David did in the order that he wrote them, on the things that he was going through, on the things that he was doing. So obviously we can't do every one of them because that's a lot, but I do have some powerful eight seasons of his life where he just chronologically, I mean, we, you were with us the first week. Uh, if you were there, if not, listen to it online. It was such a good one of, of this, I, this beautiful moment where David was anointed, but he was called to be an armor bearer. He was anointed as king, yet he was appointed to be Saul's armor bearer. And he was anointed to be king, but he's playing the lyre, a little musical instrument for the king to get over his spiritual oppression. Like it's some weird stuff. And so David wrote a song during this time. Last week, as I've already said, we dove into uh, David and Goliath, that whole story that you know. Maybe you, you heard it when you were a tiny little kid in Sunday school class, this uh, giant being destroyed by our God through David's obedience to sling a rock. He wrote a psalm, and we dove into it last week. And then this week, as I've told you, uh, David begins to have to run for his life. He literally has to take this victory. Everyone's yelling David. There was a psalm, uh, a song sung by the people of Israel. Literally, it would be like, uh, Saul has killed thousands while David has killed tens of thousands. And that's like the, what the women would be singing. Let's be honest. Uh, if you were the king, Saul, and the ladies in your, peop in, your, in your whole kingdom are yelling that you've done this, but David has done more, like you better believe you're going to start getting anxious. You're going to start getting envious. You're going to start getting jealous. And so literally the story reads, reads this. It's uh, 1 Samuel 19. Uh, it's such a crazy story. David is playing the music again to soothe King Saul because King Saul's got a little demon problem. And then out of nowhere, King Saul picks up a spear and throws it at David. And he's like, he has a dodge. And he, what is this? Where, what is happening? Uh, and he flees. And then begins this constant fleeing life of David. He had this season of, I'll go here, and then Saul will get word, and then I'll have to leave and go here. And he became this constant moving machine. Now, our go-to when we're constantly moving is to forget some of the basics. Um, like forget how to be in community, right? So our go-to when we're constantly moving is to forget how to worship the Lord, how to bring God wherever we're moving. And that's literally what David was so good at. And so I'm really excited to dive into this because he wrote a psalm during this time, Psalm 25, and we're about to read it. But now we're going to get into this. <laughs> because I have never been chased down by a king, but I have wrote a few things down. 
I have felt pursued by the enemy, right? Anyone else? I have felt pursued by past temptations. I have felt pursued by bad memories of my past. I have had nightmares. Anyone else have nightmares associated with the sin that you thought you were done with? Or some of you were abused as a child and that still haunts you. You're pursued by that. We're there. I have felt feelings of being emotionally and mentally strained. I have felt the fight of seeking freedom from something, yet still stuck in the in-between. I have desired relief from a time of confusion. Maybe you have. I have had to run from things. Literally, I've had to run from things. I've had to flee certain situations. Anyone else? Certain relationships I had to end because they were unhealthy. I have had to flee from things. I have had many times in my life where I've waited on the Lord to answer and just waited and waited and waited. So all of us, if you could fit in with me saying what I have had, you could fit in with this morning because this is what David is. This is what David's dealing with. All of these things and some because literally spears are being thrown at him. (laughs) So all of these things and some. And in this place of seemingly no rest, no relief, he writes Psalm 25. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. You want to know why the enemy likes to start speaking lies and shame? It's because typically we uh, are not waiting in the Lord, and so we begin to believe the lies about us versus waiting in the Lord, because no one who waits on the Lord will be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous, the world. But make me, David says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. And for you I wait all day long. And he continues, verse 6, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions, but according to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness. Now, I'm going to pause here. This psalm is so beautiful. And this week, if you're in a small group, if not, you should join one. But if you're not in a small group, all right, you won't get to dive into this. But if you are, you will. Uh, The whole chapter. So there you go. Maybe you should also, you could join that. Uh, But David says, make me to know your ways. Like, lead me in your truth. He literally says, on this, like, this, this escape, on the fleeing, on the confusion, this is the one thing I ask I want to know your ways. I need to know your truth. Can you lead me in your truth? From experience, uh, from experience, when when I'm in a place of uncertainty, I'm sure you're human like me. When I'm in a place of uncertainty, the conversations that I have with God center around like, God, tell me what I should do, right? Anyone else? God, I don't know what to do. I've got these two things going on. What, what do I do? And I'm like, God, tell me what to do. And I just start asking God, what is the path that I should walk? Uh, what is to do? But a heart of worship, if you want to take this note, has nothing to do what do I do. It has nothing to do with what do I do, but everything about who are you, Lord? And so that's what David is mirroring right now. When he's fleeing from Saul, he's not asking God, what do I do? He says, Father, make me to know your ways. I want to know you. 
I want to know your path. I need to know you. I want to know your path. And this is like what I know to be true about many of us, uh, even though like our initial desire is to say like, hey, God, like help me out. What do I do? It literally is so that we can form our own path. But the question that David is asking is, God, I want to know your path that I can walk in. So I'm not going to say, hey, God, how do I handle Saul? I'm going to ask God, how are you handling Saul? I'm not going to ask God, like, what do I do in this situation? Do I go there or there? But ultimately, the leading thought on my heart is I want to know you, your ways, your truth, your thoughts. In fact, like, honestly, we can get stuck on asking God what we should do, and we can never transition into actually asking who he is. And so then you get in this very immature relationship with the Father. Because uh, if you remember, our worship, immature worship, is uh, related to immature theology. Do you remember that? Uh, It's just like a product of our world right now. We're asking God, what do we do? And God's like, how about you worship me for who I am? Stop saying, what do you do? Or how do you respond? Just say, what is your path, God? What are you doing? Who are you? It's a very different focus, and I, I wrote a few things down uh, because, honestly, we can get stuck in a bitter rant saying, like, I don't know, or why did that happen, God? Why did he throw a spear at me? Why did that bad thing happen? And we never then transition out of that to say, show me you. Show me you. One, like, let me paint this picture before we keep going. One treats God like a genie or like a magic eight ball that just shakes it and says, God, what do I do? And then you do it, right? And some of you have this relationship with the Father where you think he's a magic eight ball that'll instruct you on your path. That's just messed up. And I've done it so many times, but what it will do is my focus is more on my path. Whereas the story here is God's not this magic eight ball where I ask him, what do I do? He is a father that wants us to know him. And so then when I know his path, his way, his truth, then I, that's actually way wider than the small path that I thought I should walk on. It's way more beautiful. It's way more encompassing because honestly, it's not about my plan. Because honestly, if I ask him what his truth is, he might ask me to step over here instead. He might change my, my idea. So one sees God as a genie to answer and to make pat, your path known, and the other sees God as a Lord, and we seek to know his path. That's a transition. That's when we become worshipers. It's when we become worshipers. It's when we become worshipers. So this morning, uh, the rest of this whole, uh, I'm, I'm going to have a little bit of fun with it, because uh, I got five promises of what will happen what happens, the fruit of what happens when I come to know God's ways. And not my ways, not the world's ways, but God's ways. Because I got to tell you, like, often we are really quick to learning the world's ways. But these are five things that will automatically happen. It's a fruit. When you start saying, God, what is your truth? What is your truth? Not what does this policy say? Or what do I feel about this? Or what does this say? my experience dictate? Or what does uh, wisdom say? Or what does the internet say? Or what does my personality dictate? No, this is your ways, God. 
And so these are five things that are going to happen, okay? And some of them are a little like the opposite of which will step on your foot. Um, but we're going to be all in this together. So if you want to take notes, do so. This first one, promise that will happen when you come to know God's ways. You will actually be a person, a man, a woman who seeks and receives help from God's people. Now, I just let yourself sit on that. This is the difference. I, I want to make sure, in other words, you will bring people in. So the hard truth is, if you have things that you're concealing, the hard truth is, if you have things that you're not being vulnerable with, if you have things that you talk to the Lord in a closed room about, but never anyone else, if you have things and be beliefs that are more fitting with the world and it's leading you away from people, then you're not knowing God's ways. Because God's ways, the fruit of that will always lead you to seek and receive help from God's people. Often we're like, God, why aren't you providing for me? And, it's, and he's saying, because you have a very small perception of me. Like, one, where one or more are gathered, right? One or two or more. Well, where two or more are gathered, goodness, he is there. We have a wrong view of the Lord. And so this is something that will naturally happen is when I follow his path, I'll show up with people. I'll bring people in. I will go there with people. And we all know the moments when you seem to isolate. Can we all be honest? Those are the moments when you get started to get mad at God for not telling you what to do. And he's like, because my path is with my people. So it just, uh, David, it's really interesting. Uh, we often forget that this, the Psalms were sung corporately. And so we get really excited about the Psalms sometimes and we make them very individually. And we're like, this is just a me and you God thing. And no, it's like the whole kingdom of Israel led by David or by a harp is singing this together. It's very, very together. And so when I read Psalm 25, we could very quickly say, God, like, show me your path. But it's when you connect it to what David was doing that you start seeing this together piece. Because, uh, write this down, Saul, uh, 1 Samuel 19. We're not going to be able to read it, but it's beautiful. So Saul comes at David. David flees. Guess where he flees to? Jonathan. Right after that, he comes back. And then he gets helped out. And he, he's, he's helped by, guess what? His wife. And then he flees again. And guess where he goes? To Samuel, the first man that anointed him. You see constantly this road, this individual road of David was never really individual because he always fleed to God's people. There was always people either with him or he dr drug them with him. And every, so we can like discount a whole lot of the beauty when we separate it from this. More so, this is really cool. Psalm 19, the end chapter. David goes to Samuel which Samuel is the one who anointed him. And I could just imagine, I don't know about you, but when I go back to my mentors and I'm seeking help, it's like to say this, hey, you remember like when that God thing happened? Was it real? Like I could just imagine David going back to Samuel and be like, hey, like you, you, you anointed me, right? Like what's happening? The king's after me. Like, is this real? Am I doing the wrong thing? And he's going to Samuel. And it says that they're prophesying, and it's fun. But then something crazy happens. Saul's getting angry because David keeps fleeing. And so he sends messengers. And the moment the messengers get close to Samuel and David, 
Scripture says that they start a prophetic frenzy. Really crazy. You're like, what? Literally, the messengers that Saul sent to bring him word about what David is doing so that he could kill David, they start prophesying. And we don't know what they're prophesying about, but they're prophesying the Lord's ways. And instantly, the plan was thwarted. All right? Again and again. It says it happened three times. I'll tell you, it's the covering of God's people that thwarts the plan of the enemy. And often, literally, Saul himself is angry because three times he sent messengers. And every time the messengers came back dumbfounded because they went on a prophetic frenzy. But literally, the enemy's plan gets thwarted when David was with God's people. When they were seeking the Lord together. Saul himself comes in, and Scripture says that when he got close to the prophets, he himself started prophesying. Like, I can just only imagine what he began saying. Like, that is the Lord's anointed. He's meant to be king. He praise Yahweh. Like, and he's starting to speak the future, and the man is, is not wanting it. He's ripping. It says he rips his clothes, and David flees. Now, I just, I know from experience. It's when I go with the people of God that there is this covering of protection. And anything that the Lord is wanting to bring in to my individual life starts falling out because of my communal life. Anyone else? And if things keep happening and the enemy's plans keep working and you keep giving into the temptation, it's because you're lacking the covering of God's people. Does this make sense? Are you with me? That's one promise, is if you, if you sit in the path of the Lord, he will bring you to the people of God, and they will provide a covering. Start asking people to pray for you. Start asking people to stand with you, because the enemy's arrows will be thwarted. They cannot stand. And so it continues. So there's, there's another promise, and if you want to write this one down, uh, another promise, and this is a fun one, you will be hated by the world. That's just a promise. David experienced it, but I put it secondary because I wanted you to, I mean, we could have said this first, but I wanted to just have the nice part of like, you'll be covered by God's people, uh, provision. There's provision and blessing with God's people. Uh, But this one's fun because it's always a good gauge. If you're not causing a disruption, then it might be because you're not living in his path. Because when you walk his path, the world will not like it. Your ideology will cause people to riot. Your plans will be misunderstood because they're God's plans. And this is a promise, but the the beautiful thing is Jesus says, like, they will hate you because they hated me. It's just something that happens because David did nothing out of arrogance in these early. Now, he will do things out of arrogance later on. Uh, But in this early stage, he's doing nothing out of arrogance, but everything that is being asked of him. Literally, Saul tells him, hey, I got a beautiful daughter. Do you want her? And David's like, I mean, I don't think I deserve her. True humility. Who am I to be brought into the king's household? And Saul's like, well, I'll give you her if you go get a hundred Philistine foreskins. And like, one, Saul's like, that's nasty. And uh, he's not going to do it. Two, Saul's like, he's going to die if he does it. And it's this master plan of Saul to kill David. David's like, okay, 
I will do it. And so he goes and does it. He gets his, his daughter as his wife, and he earned it like the father said. The father, though, Saul, angry. Because when we walk in integrity, when we show up to work and keep consistently praising the Father for the battle we're in, and in, when we constantly sit in the covering of God's people, more and more will come against us. But again, it will be thwarted. And this is this beautiful thing. I used to tell my students this all the time, like that we, we think we're going against the grain when we are rebellious in our teens. Do you remember that? Like, anyone go through a rebellious phase as a, as a child? Okay, thank you. We think we're going against the grain, but in fact, we're literally going with the grain of society. We're like literally going with the plans of the enemy. To go against the grain is why it's so much harder to love. Like, it's easier to sin than to be obedient. Like, it is so much easier. Like, literally, write this down. It doesn't make sense until you think about it. Obstacles are only obstacles when you change direction. Like, if I'm bowling, and I'm bowling straight, then those things on the side don't become an ob obstacle anymore. The world is bowling, but we're, like, going sideways. And so there's things we got to hop over many times uh, as we come to know Christ. And we're like, God, I want to know your word. I want to hear from you. And so we start a Bible study, and then we, uh, we get sick, and we don't want to wake up anymore early enough, and then like job, just, we have so much overtime, and so then the things that we wanted to commit to, it's just harder to commit to it. Anyone else? It's just harder all of a sudden to commit to what we wanted to commit to, and we're like, God, I tried. Like I had three weeks solid where I got into your word, and I was working on this prayer life, and I was, I was doing it, but then... I was late to work and all these things. And we start like getting angry about all the bad things that keep happening. But really, those are a, an instant product of us trying to break a mold. Does it think about it? Those are a product. Your, your temptations will start getting worse when you start trying to fight temptations. Your patience will be tested even more so when you're praying for patience. Like it just, it will happen. Obstacles are only obstacles when you change direction. And, but you will be hated by the world. That's a promise. But that covering is greater. There's a third one if you want to write it down. The fruit of knowing God's ways. When we come to know his truth, this will happen. Uh, you will actively and always confess and seek forgiveness. You will. Now, I, I make mistakes as a pastor constantly. I lead poorly, <laughs> and I lead well. I, I got, both of those all, often happen. The worst thing we can do as believers is have an understanding. Like James himself says, you deceive yourself if you think without sin. Sometimes we read that, and we're like, well, I know that I sin. I know that I sin, but it's just their sin's a little bit worse than my sin, and so I'm a little bit annoyed by their sin. And we get in this mindset of an under, a cognitive understanding that I, can't, I have the ability to sin. Some of you, you, you have a cognitive understanding that sometimes you can lie or, or, you know, fudge on the corners a bit. You have a cognitive understanding that you're not always doing the right thing. But your confession skills are poor, right? You don't really know his ways. I don't really know his ways. Because if I knew his ways, then I would see how different my walk is to his ways. 
And I will constantly say, God, I confess this because I need, I need your presence here. And it's nothing about me being, becoming better or him forgiving me so that I can receive salvation. That's not salvific. That is sanctification. That's me saying, I need to be like you. And I admit that I'm not. Some of you, you show up on Sunday, but never admit that you're not like God. You never admit that there are areas that you should confess. You never admit that you're missing the mark on something. And so then nothing ever changes. You keep getting angry of God because it keeps happening. And God's like, my path? Confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. You want healing? Seek forgiveness. You want healing? Realize that a sin of yesterday, there's still sins today that are attached to that. So confess. Seek healing. Literally, the psalmist writes this. Uh, this is the exact same psalm. It keeps going. Verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And he keeps going. Verse 16. Hey, turn to me, Father, and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and I'm afflicted, and the troubles of my heart are at large, so bring me out of my distress. Consider all my affliction and trouble and forgive me all my sins. Now, this is what I love is David wasn't perfect on this journey. In fact, he would come upon a whole group of people who he would lie to. He will lie. Out of fear of, of getting sought after, he does alter truth a bit. He deceives them. And in this deceiving, I can believe that this is the sin he's talking about. This constant fear, this acting out, this taking control, this charge. He grabs, he grabs uh, Goliath's sword. Now, is God honored in that? I don't know. But in the moment, David was like, I need to arm myself. Previously, God killed a giant without a sword. So why is David now needing a sword? Because he's fearful. He's lacking faith in some moments. But he says, pardon me, forgive me, remind me, your path, consider, forgive all my sins. And it's this beautiful thing that, that what happens when we constantly uncover our sins and strive to know his truth. So that's number three. If you want to write this one down, number four, this is something that's going to happen. You will not hate talk. Now, I love this one because this is a little fun to talk through. Um, because when I come to know God's ways it will affect my speech. You remember last week when I, when I told you like where you run is what you'll sort of start talking like? Where you run to sort of determines what you'll speak like. And so if you run to your friends over here who are not believers every time something happens over there, you will begin to speak like them. If you run to, to, to this or that, if you run to fear, you will begin to speak like fear. If you run to anger, you'll begin to speak like anger. What you run to is what you speak like. But one thing I know is that when I say, God, who are you? Teach me your truth. When I come to know the Bible for not just this, this word uh, on a page, but the living and active word of God, it starts shaping my talk. And I will not hate talk. And what I mean by this is if you opened up 1 Samuel 19, 1 Samuel 20, 1 Samuel 21, 1 Samuel chapter 22, 1 Samuel chapter 23, if you look through it and look at David's words, 
never once does he ever turn anyone against Saul. Never once in those chapters does he ever demean another man. It's powerful. Why? Because as I pursue the Lord, I will honor the king. Who? As you pursue the Lord, this is proof of if you're walking in his ways or not. This is where the world's word of love falls out. Because the world will say, I love this, but it's, it, is, it falls on its face because while they say, I love this, they hate that. They hate that. With the, war, with the Lord, like as I love him, I will honor all. It's this beautiful thing. And so if you want to like help you separate this a bit, like we see these two contrasting figures. We have Saul who leads in dishonor and we have David who leads in honor now. And dishonor is honestly, it's the result of fearing in the world. Hannah brought on that earlier, perfect love casts out all fear. But the reality is a giant comes, things happen and we go to fear. And so the, the things that were going on in our culture, if you fear that you won't be seen, if you fear things won't happen, if you fear, if you, uh, if you result in, in afraid that, uh, that, that blah, 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 dishonor will be your words. You will be angry at that which you fear. I mean, we see this all the time in children. Like when they're afraid, they get mean, right? A bully, it, it often comes back to fear. And they're mean because dishonor is a result of fearing in the world. But if you want to look on that and flip it around, like honor is the result of fearing the Lord. Now, the word fear is fun here because David's about to say in this, uh, it's, if you want to just write a note, this will stay up. But this is verse 12 and 14. It says, who is the man that fears the Lord? For he will be instructed in the way that the Lord, the way of the Lord. And it says in verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and, make no, and he makes known to them his covenant. Now this word fear, this isn't like a scary fear, a belittling fear. This is a word reverence. This is the word worship. Those who cause to, those who, who, who have an active elevation of the power and glory of the Lord. Those who revere him, your honor will be known to all. You will be honorable to all. But listen, this is where dishonor comes. Are you ready? When you take something and elevate it, that's what fear is. You're already looking ahead saying that that thing is so great and you can't handle it, or that thing is so great and it won't be fixed. That, that thing is just, that is a problem. And as you elevate that, right? As you revere it, you will start speaking it. And as you revere the Lord, you will start speaking like him. Does this make sense? Like this is what happens automatically when we follow the ways of the Lord. We begin to honor because we fear him. But when we follow something else, hate talk will always come. And I love it because like David is just, he's doing the right thing. He says, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. I'm going to ascribe not fear to the Lord or fear to the world, but fear to you, God. And the last one happens, and this is where we're going to end. And I feel like I'm 
done pretty good. We're just chugging along. Yeah, I didn't see anyone do this. This is Kate's hand motion. If you ever see her do this, it's because she, she's done with me. Um, <laughs> the fifth one, when you pursue God's truth, you will hear from him. Now, that sounds so simple, but many of you, your relationship with God is designated to a day where you hear Greg talk. And it's because, it's because you don't know his word. Teach me your truth. Teach me your path. And because we don't know God's word, we don't hear him. Now, when I say like I hear from God, like literally that means that there are times when I am doing a decision or making a talk or I'm in a situation and literally a word from God. Sometimes it comes from his word, literally, because I've memorized some of it. It comes up and it comes up because I know his ways. And so I hear his voice. It comes up because I know his truth. And I know then that that's not his truth, that someone's speaking in a different word. You know, like, we want to hear from God, but we don't want to submit to his path. And so on my path, there are a few things, like I can take and apply some good, uh, you know, values in scripture, but the values of scripture won't change my life. It's the word of God, the spirit of God actively bringing to life those words that becomes my shaping. That's how I'm shaped. Does that make sense? There's a huge difference, and uh, we just don't hear from God because we don't know him. And that's what I love, like, uh, throughout this week, if you're going to read 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, one thing you will see is this really cool relationship with David and God. Like, David will literally say to this to God. You ready? He says, hey, God, like, should I go to this town? And then he'll hear God say, yes. And David's like, okay, cool. I'll go to that town. And then he gets word from someone that Saul's coming closer while David had escaped into the wilderness. And David's like, hey, God, if we stay here and try to, like, go down, will Saul come? And he hears God say, yeah. And then David goes, hey, if, like, we try to fight him, will he kill us? And he hears the Lord say, yeah. And so David's like, cool, I'm fleeing then. And, like, literally every, it's just this ongoing thing. And what we would do if we discounted David's relationship with God, we would think that David is treating God, and he got, David just has this, this really good and un, unmatched relationship with the Father. But it's not about the daily decision of what David should do. It's, it, that's not what his, his monologue began with. His monologue with God began with, hey, God, show me your ways. I want to know your truth. And so then this small, which we think is great, but this small little conversation of, hey, God, like, if I go there, will bad things happen? Okay, I shouldn't then. That small little conversation is just a product of the big surrender that David has of saying, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. So when I walk and I'm like, hey, God, like, should I? Should we do this? It's not like I audibly sometimes don't hear yes or no, but sometimes my discernment meters go off, and I'm like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't. I don't feel, I can't, I used to, I have a hard time wording it sometimes, but you ever know those times when you're like, I can't see me do that. Anyone else feel like that? Like, I just can't see that happen. 
Sometimes that's the Lord saying, it's because he shouldn't. And it's this, this, the discernment of that, because I know God, and I begin to have then his discernment of what isn't in his path. You'll hear from the Lord, and it becomes beautiful. God, I want to know you was the leading of everything David did. I just want to know you. Not so that I can make a better decision, but just so that I can know you. And so as we close this morning, band, you guys can come on up. Like the reality is the path of the Lord will inevitably bring those five things in your life. So here's a hard truth. Have you felt covered by the provision of God's people? (laughs) Here's a hard truth. Have you felt covered? Like when you're struggling, there's a place that you go to. Have you felt covered? A second one, like just to to just help you out, like uh, do you look differently than the world? (laughs) Are they butting heads with you at times? Do you have reason to go back to God's people because you need relief, right? (laughs) The third one, do you have hate talk toward people? Are there certain areas that you have devoted your life to the world? that you should give that to the Lord. Because you can see it by who you honor or dishonor. The fourth one, right? Like, are you actively confessing? Are you? And the last one, like, have you heard from him at all? Maybe your prayer needs to be, Father, show me your ways. Teach me your truth. I'm willing to give up everything that I think is right if you just show me what is right. Just show me you. Teach me you. There are some of you who are believers who are, you're so hardened. You're so hardened by the pattern of this world that you haven't had an active duty of transforming your mind by the word of God. In fact, when I say that even, you get pushed back to your childhood and where you think the word of God is just so demeaning or old or not living or what would it be like for you to say, God, show me your truth. I wait on you. I wait on you. Show me your truth. I wait on you. I wait on you. Father, in this place, pray that you just show us your truth. Those five things, they're fun to listen to, but God, if they are not a gauge for our own life, then that in and of itself will prove that we are walking in some worldly ways. (laughs) Because the world hears and doesn't do Scripture says we deceive ourselves if we hear the word of God and don't do it. So God, I just pray that right now you, we become people who have this honest worship with you. Who are you, Lord? Teach me your ways. Teach me your path. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. 
For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.